one of our favorite college traditions was in the heart of the bowels of the Chicago winter. Uh, every year, we would watch all extended editions of The Lord of the Rings, because what else do you do when it's freezing outside? So we would, they're four hours long, so we would watch the first two hours, and in intermission, we would go to Dunkin' Donuts, and then we would come back and watch the second half, and almost like clockwork, Dan would fall asleep at around the three-hour mark. I actually don't think he ever made it through the entire way. Um, but there's this scene which opens up the third movie, Return of the King, which tells the story of Schmeagol turning into Gollum. And uh, Dan has graciously agreed to come and in his Gollum voice do the entire scene. So everybody, Dan Fager. All right. Just kidding. Wouldn't that be the best, though? <laughs> um, in a nutshell, this story, though, is one of light to darkness. So if you've seen the movies, uh, Gollum starts out as this guy named Schmeagol, and it's this like idyllic scene. They're fishing. He's with his buddy. There's light. It's like Eden. It's perfect. But then his buddy stumbles across the ring of great power. And Gollum, or Schmeagol, as at that point, overwhelmed by this desire for the ring, murders his friend to take the ring. And when that happens, this, the movie, uh, again, it's just like montage, but it powerfully portrays the transformation of Schmeagol, this guy, into Gollum. Because of his shame for murdering his friend and because his life had completely turned inward into this all-consuming you know, desire for the ring, he goes deeper and deeper, lower and lower, away from the sun, away from the light, away from other people, and into caves, into darkness. Even his like, physical appearance transforms. And so little by little, he loses his life, and darkness becomes his home. In a voiceover uh, during this scene in the movie, Gollum says this. And when he says us, it's the royal Schmeagol Gollum us. That's what he's talking about. They cursed us. Murderer, murderer, they called us. They cursed us and drove us away, and we wept. We wept to be so alone. And we forgot the taste of bread, the sound of trees, the softness of the wind. We even forgot our own name. Now with that picture in mind, feeling all those feels, listen to this. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood. Your lips have spoken lies. No one goes to law honestly. They rely on empty pleas. They conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. Therefore, justice is far from us. We hope for light. And behold, darkness for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight. We all growl like bears. We moan and moan like doves. We hope for justice, but there's none. For salvation, but it is far from us. That is from the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, chapter 59. You see, the Bible teaches us that our collective human backstory 
is actually not so different than golems. It's a story of light to darkness. And this morning, I just want us to enter into that story for a little bit. So Genesis 1, the very first page of the Bible, and the very beginning of all of our stories, says that in the beginning, the world was nothing. It was just darkness and emptiness. It actually says that. Very, very beginning. Darkness is hovering over the face of the deep. And the first thing that God did in the history of the world was to speak a word into the darkness. These are the first words of God. He says, let there be light. That's how he opens up everything. And with that world, God creates this beautiful world of beauty and light and safety. And then he created Adam and Eve, the first people. And unlike any one of us in this room that I know of, at least, they were completely comfortable being naked in public. (laughs) They had no problem with it. They had nothing to hide. They had nothing to be ashamed of. They just basked in the openness of God's creation. In his eyesight, in the eyes of the sun, I mean, it was just perfect. But Adam and Eve, tragically, from a place of deception and desire, grasped for something that was not theirs to take. And when they did, they immediately were driven to the dark. All of a sudden, because of what they had done, they were filled with shame and began to feel exposed They knew they were naked. They wanted to cover up, if you know the story. It's almost like out of feeling exposure, they quickly tried to, like, smash all the light bulbs in the room, you know, fling the drapes on the windows so nobody could see them. And so they fled to the darkness. They were separated from the light, just like Isaiah says, and from God who spoke the light into existence. And from there, much of the human story is one of darkness giving way to more darkness, Adam and Eve's children would continue to do things that made them feel shame and made them flee to the caves. And like Gollum, darkness just eventually became home. We forgot the light in which we once lived. We forgot the the precious creator who made us and what we were made for. Isaiah uh, was writing that chapter that I just read thousands of years later. And just to prove the point, it hadn't gotten any better by the time he was writing that. That image of humanity groping along the wall like the blind. I just love that. It's the darkness that we've made our home, that we've chosen. Now, I want to propose to you this morning that we've actually never recovered. That is still the world we live in. And if you're like, especially if you're new to Christianity and you're visiting this morning, you're like, bro, you're insane. I don't feel like Gollum. I don't live in a cave. Uh, I get that. But hear me out for a second. So one of the the descriptors descriptors we used to talk about, let's say like a heavy movie, is dark. So you might go see a movie, you know, one that actually isn't about like a Marvel superhero in spandex or a chick flick or something, but one that's actually about stuff we actually experience. It doesn't gloss over kind of the, the grittiness of human life. You might walk out of it and say, man, it was really good, but it was dark. And usually... Those are the movies that bring us to tears, right? Those are the movies that win Oscars because they, they actually reflect what we deal with. And sometimes they're dark. So I think in that sense, even though the light and the beauty of God's creation has not been completely snuffed out, our world is dark, is it not? Chicago and Uptown, which I'm coming from the suburbs, so you guys are in touch with this way more than I am. I don't need to prove this to you. But Chicago and Uptown can be dark. Parts of your life are dark. We have shame and pain that we carry. 
things people did to us, things we did to other people, they're dark. And lots of that you were just born into. You didn't ask for it. You didn't choose it. You were born into it. But some of it, we have intentionally darkened ourselves. So like Gollum, like Adam and Eve, we want something or we do something out of lust or greed or desire. And when we do, we smash out the light bulbs. We close all the window drapes so no one can see us. And then, like Gollum, like Adam and Eve, we flee to the caves. We drive ourselves deeper into the darkness, this time maybe not out of greed of lust, but out of shame, out of not wanting anyone to know what we've done. I have a two-year-old son, like I said, and he's a crazy little boisterous dude. Uh, and we live in a small apartment, and we can always tell where he is because he's loud. Uh, but if you have kids, you know that the danger is when you can't hear anything, when it gets quiet all of a sudden. So my wife and I will be washing dishes, like talking, and then we're like, oh my gosh, it's silent. You know, what's James doing? And then we'll find him like stabbing a computer with a pocket knife or something. <laughs> you see, even he, a two-year-old, <laughs> has this basic instinct to hide when he does something wrong. I didn't teach him that. My wife didn't teach him that. He just gets quiet. Our world is dark, and we are the ones who have darkened it. And we do what my son does, except we are experts at it from years and years of experience. Like Gollum, we hate the darkness. We hate it. But we are driven there by the things we lust for in the darkness. We hate the caves we made, but we continue to paint the walls black so that nobody knows what we've done. We've made darkness our home, and it's a bad home. It's a bad home. So the world started with darkness hovering over the face of the deep. And then, like Isaiah says, because of the things we have done and left undone, it has become dark again. We grope along the wall. We stumble at noonday. And that's a tragic part of all of our stories. But that's just a part of it. And I'm glad to tell you that the story of the Bible, uh, our story, does not end with darkness. Amen? And this is where it gets really, really good. You see, ever since Adam and Eve did what we all have done, which is to smash out all the light bulbs and paint the walls black, God had been promising that he would do once again what he did before, and that is to speak a word into the darkness. So, if you have a Bible, or you have a phone that has a Bible on it or something, uh, flip to John 1. The text, I am the light of the world, is from John 8, but I actually want to start us in John 1. And if you don't, it's okay, because I'm going to read it. But this is the first uh, couple of verses of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then a little bit further down the road there in verse 9, it says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now, John is doing everything he possibly can to make sure that we connect the dots with what he's saying to the beginning of creation, to the beginning of our stories like we just talked about. 
and he really wants us to understand this. In the beginning of creation, God spoke light into the darkness, and he created all that you can see, like we said. It brought life. And 2,000 years ago, in the middle of our world of darkness, of people groping along the wall, stumbling at noon, as in the twilight, John is saying God was about to do that same thing again. He was about to speak into the darkness the same word, the same light that brought everything to existence at the beginning of time. Except, did you notice that it said the true light was coming into the world? That word of light and life, God himself became a man, and his name's Jesus. And Jesus, when he would grow up, uh, he would own this in that reading we read today and say himself, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the light of the world. I just want to spend the rest of this morning unpacking that statement. It's kind of our backstory to it, um, but I think it's really important to understand the magnitude of what Jesus is saying. So in order to do that, I just want to ask a couple questions about that statement. I am the light of the world. First of all, what's, what does Jesus mean when he says, I'm the light of the world? Why did he come as the light of the world? And how did he accomplish whatever purpose he came for? So those are my questions. What, why, and how? Um, first, what is Jesus saying? It's really easy to, to think Jesus is just speaking figure, figuratively here. Like, I'm the light of the world means... I'm a really good guy, I'm a religious figure in history, and my philosophy's awesome, and if you follow me, you'll be enlightened, or something like that. Like, I'm a bright light, whatever. Uh, but that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying what we just learned from John 1, that he, an actual historical man who shaved and worked a job just like all of us, is, is that same light that brought all creation into existence. He's saying, I am the source of everything, the all-creative, all-powerful God who makes something out of nothing. And if that's what he's saying, then our next question is, well, why did he come as the light of the world? And John 1 tells us that as well. He came to what it says, shine light into the darkness. So Jesus came for the express purpose of pouring light back into your cave. He came to turn back on the light bulbs, to fling open the window drapes of the darkness of all of our caves. And the reason he did this, why, is not because we asked for it, it's not because we deserved it, but because he loves us so much, he just came. It's an amazing thing. So if that's what Jesus means when he says he's the light, and if that's why he came, then our next question is, well, how did he turn the light bulbs back on? How does he do that in our lives? Does he just go around saying that, and then people hear him and are like, well, shoot, I ought to come out of my cave then. That's awesome. Like, this is great. No, it's not how he did it. Uh, and this is where the story gets even better. So you see, Jesus came and started telling people that he was the light of the world, that he'd come, that he, uh, he starts talking to people saying, I'm the light of the world. The people he was actually engaging with had a really unique reaction. So when he said that, the people hated him. They hated him for it. They wanted to smash him out like the light bulbs that they had previously smashed to hide themselves. So think about it for a second. And I actually want you to think about this. Uh, think about a part of your life that is dark. Maybe that you have painted the walls black for, smashed out the light bulbs 
to, to remain hidden from. I actually want you to think about it because we're going to return to it in a second. What if someone approached you having full knowledge of that part of your life and said, hey, I'm the light of the world and I'm coming to shine my clean million-watt light bulb just all over you to expose everything. You might have a, an initial gut reaction to that, right? Jesus puts it this way in John 3, 19 and 20. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works be exposed. So what happened? Well, for those of you who are familiar with the story of Jesus, you probably know this part, uh, but driven by the same selfishness and shame that has caused us all to smash our light bulbs in the first place, the people actually did end up smashing Jesus like a light bulb by hanging him on a cross to die. And on the saddest, most tragic day in history, uh, the light of the world was snuffed out. But in the beautiful, audacious wisdom of God, that was exactly his plan. Jesus let that happen. You see, Jesus didn't just come to condemn us by exposing us. Jesus came to save us. Jesus came to forgive us of our shame, heal us from our wounds in the darkness and shine his lights into our hearts so that we wouldn't continue to flee towards the caves, but towards his light. He came to reverse that cycle of all of us. And that's why he allowed himself to be smashed like a light bulb on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says that the whole world actually got dark in the middle of the day, just like Isaiah was talking about. And in that eerie darkness, he died, and he was laid in a tomb for three days, a cave. So Jesus went down under into a cave almost. And what Jesus essentially did was crawl down into the deepest, darkest corner of this world, into the ugliness of death. He intentionally experienced our darkness. He took it on himself. And he died in our place for all of our shame and pain so that we might leave our caves and walk in the light. Again, I want you to go back to your own cave uh, that I asked you to think about, so that dark part of your life. Imagine Jesus with full power and authority, but utter gentleness and compassion. You're sitting in there, it's cold, it stinks, and he just crawls into it. He just shows up there, and you're shocked and terrified, but he just sits in it with you. And he says, listen, I'm going to stay here in this stench, I'm going to stay here down with you so that you don't have to. And in fact, I want you to give me what has driven you here, what has chained you here, so that you can get up and leave. I want to forgive you of it, cleanse you of it, and I want to free you of this place. That's why I've crawled down here from my throne of the universe. Uh, when we say in the Apostles' Creed, uh, which I don't think we're reading today, but we say that Jesus was crucified, died, and was buried, and descended to the dead, we're basically saying we believe Jesus crawled into our darkest cave. He 
he went all the way down into the pit of the ugliness of death. We believe that as Christians. Amen? Isn't that amazing? And we also believe what comes next, which is on the third day, he rose again. You see, after three days, in the dawn of morning, which is when the sun comes up, when it gets light, the ground started to shake, and that pit, that cave, just exploded with light and life. Jesus didn't just crawl into the cave in our place. He then destroyed and completely vanquished that cave forever and walked out in new life. The sun was shining, and the people who ran to the tomb were blinded by light. And ever since that day, Jesus has been calling people like you and me into his marvelous, marvelous light. So the Bible has this awesome image. It says that basically on the dawn of the resurrection, in the darkness of our world, when Jesus rose from the dead, it was like the sun began to rise. And it says that in the age we're in, the darkness is passing away. So the image is one of Jesus just continuing to rise like the sun. And we are currently in this phase where he's just rising and rising. And the Bible ends where basically Jesus becomes high noon. There's no more shade. There's no more darkness. It literally says in the book of Revelation, people don't need light bulbs anymore. They don't even need lamps. There's no evening or day or morning because Jesus is the light of the world. Isn't that awesome? So it's like ever since the resurrection, that's just happening and the darkness is passing away. Now, what do we do? Where do we go with all these beautiful biblical truths? I've just been captivated over the past couple weeks as I've been thinking about this, about that idea of Jesus plunging into the dark, the darkest part of the cave, and then bursting forth like the sunrise. Uh, I want to give you two just practical takeaways and two questions that go with the takeaways. So just two points and two questions to think about this week. Number one, step into the light. It's a pretty easy one, right? Uh, at least simple word. But step into the light. If you, like me, hear these things and you're like, man, I, I want to leave my cave. I want that. I'm tired of being in the dark. Listen to what Jesus says in John 8, 12, uh, our passage for this morning. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's as simple as following Jesus. Follow him. And if you're like, I have no idea how to follow him, then two practical things that I can help you out with that is, first of all, after the service, come find me or Pastor Aaron. Uh, we would love to help you start following Jesus. And from what I know of this church, this is an awesome group of people that are all stepping into the light together, and they would love to help you. Right? Yeah? <laughs> Two, most of the stuff that I've been reading today is in the Gospel of John. If you've never really read the Bible, uh, read John. It's awesome. I'm sure we can help you find a Bible, and if you don't want to come talk to me, I'm sure it's online for free somewhere, or you can buy one somewhere. Uh, but just read the Gospel of John. Uh, but also, stepping into the light of Jesus isn't just something we do once. It's something we actually have to do every single day and every single week. And for those of us who've been coming to church for decades who feel like we're pretty religious people, we desperately need to hear this. So listen to this passage from 1 John. This is uh, verses 5 to 9 in chapter 1. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. 
But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness. Brothers and sisters, it is totally possible to come to church every week, maybe even study the Bible a lot at school, and walk in darkness. We are constantly going to be tempted to smash out the light bulbs, shut the window drapes on certain parts of our life, and paint the room black. That's a constant temptation. And when we do that, and we all do sometimes, right? Like John says, we deceive ourselves. The two groups of people are not those who do not sin and live in the light and those who like do sin and stay in the dark. Those are not the two groups of people. Yeah, again, the other person, it's like some people remain in their caves with deception and some people are, aren't sinners. That's not the deal. So your greatest enemy here is religiosity. Uh, that's the temptation that First John's talking about. Religiosity is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. Religiosity makes you obsessed with your image as a godly person. It's kind of like a pillar of the church, you know. And it silently forces you to tuck everything in your life into the dark corners that you don't want anyone else to know about. And hey, presto, at that point, darkness becomes your home again. But our greatest weapon against religiosity and these caves and everything we've been talking about is confession. Uh, and that's what First John talks about. Not just secretly to ourselves, but to one another. Confession brings out our darkness and is the process by which we hand over to Jesus the things that chain us to our caves. So living in the light is not being perfect. Please hear that. That's what the Bible is teaching us this morning. Living in the light has nothing to do with being perfect or not having anything to be ashamed about or something like that. Living in the light is living openly, being cleansed by the blood of Jesus and living in the new life of his resurrection. So step into the light. That's the first point. And the question I want you to think about is this. Do I have a place in my life where I consistently am able to confess my sins and bring my, light, my darkness into the light? Open up the windows and show people, I got this going on in my life, and let the, the blood of Jesus cleanse that. Do you have a cleansing each week? I've been really convicted by that. Number two, second point is this. Be a light. Be a light. Jesus says he is the light of the world several times in the Bible, but he also does this crazy thing in the Gospels as well, and he flips it on his disciples. I don't know if you've ever caught that. And then he says, you are the light of the world. Basically, Jesus is saying, because I took your place in the cave, in the tomb, and then resurrected, you can receive the Holy Spirit and partake of my new life. And when you do that, you become a torchbearer. You become a keeper of the light yourself. And then you're able to go and shine a light into others' darkness, which is the coolest thing in the world. Jesus crawled down into your pit. He crawls down into your cave. You didn't ask for it. You didn't deserve it, but he did. And Jesus asks you to go crawl into other people's darkness. Those caves might stink. They might be dark and scary. But you are called as keepers of the great light of the Most High God 
enter into darkness. So be a light. And the question that goes along with it is this. What darkness is God calling you to enter into for others? Don't think like general, like gang violence in Chicago or trafficking in Thailand or something. Think specifically to you. What what caves of darkness, what darkness for other people is God calling you specifically to enter into and be a light? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.